we've all heard the term social skills, right? We've all heard people say, oh, that person doesn't have social skills or, you know, that person needs to take a class on social skills or something like that. But how many of us really know what that means, social skills? How many of us actually know the definition of social skills? How many of us know how to improve social skills? Well, that's what I want to go into today. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your loyal host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle. I'm also a practicing therapist. If you can, please go to our Patreon page and become a patron of the podcast. If you become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com, you will, in the future, gain access to exclusive material and swag and other things. Maybe Umberto will call you on the phone. I don't know. We'll see. But just know that patrons of the podcast will get special attention if not uh, half of our content or something like that. Anyway, so let's talk about social skills. But before I go, I want to read an email from patron Lyndon. So Lyndon is a patron of the podcast, which is partially why I'm reading his email here, because he is an actual patron. He says, Dear Professor Honda, I'm actually not sure how to address you, he says. Should I refer to you as Professor Honda or what, what should I refer to you as? I don't care how people refer to me as, but I will say that I like how Professor Honda sounds. That sounds kind of nice. Uh, people sometimes say Dr. Honda or just Kirk or Honda. I, I've often said that my friends will call me Honda and my strangers will call me Kirk. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's just a, a guy thing. You know, when you grow up, you know, we all call each other by our last names. So, you know, I don't know. Plus, in Asian cultures, people often go by their last name. They don't get, you know, in formal language, you go by your last name. Honda-san, that kind of thing. Honda-san, actually. Anyway, I don't care. Uh, but if you want to make me smile, uh, referring to me as a professor sometimes makes me smile. It's probably just a narcissistic thing, a prestige cultural thing. Uh, but, you know, you can allow me that, right? Uh, patron Linden. Uh, I don't know if you want to be called Patron Linden, but uh, that's what I'm going to call you. <laughs> he goes on to say, I was wondering if you could comment on the positive aspects of social skills. It's a complex and unwieldy topic, and I'd imagine some trimming and simplifying the message might be wise. Social skills seems to be a bread and butter topic in the U.S., but is still a little alien to me. One stumbling block to, to grasping it is that coming from Ireland, which is often gray, rainy, wet, not unlike Seattle, I hear. Yes, uh, Seattle, I'm guessing Ireland. And if Ireland is often gray, rainy, and wet, then yes, Seattle is exactly the same. Uh, although this year, 2015, we had a ton of sun and almost no rain for several months. And it was uh, a little frightening to some extent because I just wasn't used to it, having been born and raised here. It was it was really nice. But yeah, it's uh, it, from about October 1 until July 1 in Seattle, it's pretty much like 55 degrees Fahrenheit and gray and just kind of rainy. It's interesting in Seattle, you know, people often say, oh, Seattle, it's rainy all the time. But it's not like rain in other parts of the world. In other parts of the world, when it's raining, it's really raining. In Seattle, when it's raining, you don't even really need an umbrella because it's just barely raining. It's just a, a constant slight drizzle. We have, you know, how it's purported that the Inuit people have a thousand words for snow, which I think is apocryphal. But uh, people in Seattle have a thousand words for rain. You know, there's drizzling and there's misting and there's rain rain and there's 
torrents of rain. <laughs> and there's all sorts of different, probably not a thousand, but, but anyway, uh, and people don't often have umbrellas in Seattle because it's not raining to the point where you really need one. It doesn't stop drivers in Seattle from not knowing what they're doing when it suddenly starts to rain. So uh, that's, that's consistent. But I hear in other cities it's worse. Anyway, Patron Linden goes on to say... Uh, he's in Ireland, where there is a pretty organic social structure, historically very, very homogenous, and people there involve themselves in storytelling, uh, charisma, humor, charm, wit, and playfulness. It is kind of like what Berto was talking about regarding dancing in Colombia. So Berto was talking about how dancing was ubiquitous in Colombia when he was growing up, in that people... Uh, teenagers, when you went to parties, if you couldn't dance, you weren't anybody, you know, as a, as a man, you had to be able to lead in, you know, Colombian dance uh, technique, <laughs> which I'm guessing involves lots of twirling. Cause I've seen Berto do this. He, he can instantly grab a woman and twirl her around and throw her around on the dance floor. And he's, his legs are all, you know, going everywhere. And, and you know, and growing up in Seattle myself, uh, I have absolutely no idea how to do any of that stuff, and it feels completely foreign to me. Anyway, so Patron Linden is saying that uh, charisma, humor, charm, and wit and playfulness are just a part of of upbringing in Ireland. Uh, that would be my assumption of people in Ireland. They seem to be witty people and charming people. He goes on to say, the overall impression of our social world is holistic. So the idea of formulating discrete social techniques comes over a little odd outside of specific professional contexts. Uh, he goes on to say, the term social skills gets thrown around a lot online in the media and seemingly in American popular culture. I can imagine there might be some bad ways of using the term. For example, a group do not like a person much because of his or her clothes, attitude, personality, inability to fit in, etc., and simply label him or her as lacking social skills. Another example in which uh, the term might be used poorly, according to Patron Linden, is as a part of this ridiculous pathologizing of everything, implying that anyone demonstrating social awkwardness or tactlessness is on the autism spectrum, has Asperger's, or lacks social skills. These are all good points that I'll address later on here. Another example he imagines social skills term uh, being used poorly is, in general, as a placeholder term to justify excluding, mistreating, bullying, or lording it over people who may have vulnerabilities or deficits in terms of socializing. Uh, incidentally, Patron Linen, uh, uh, I have read enough of your emails to know that you're an intelligent man, and if you wanted to have your own podcast, you really should. Maybe psychology in Ireland or Dublin or wherever you're from. Dublin is, is Dublin? Do I know any other cities in Ireland? Uh, Dublin. This is, you know, typical American. We, we don't know anything about the rest of the world. Google different, uh, different cities in Ireland. Galway. I've never heard of that before. Cork. I think about Limerick. Of course, I've heard of Limerick because of Limericks. <laughs> Belfast. That's the other one I've heard of. Uh, Waterford, Kilkenny, Derry. Uh, these are all, so basically I've only heard of Dublin and Belfast and Limerick, maybe Cork, but not these other places. Uh, it's sh shameful, shameful. I'm a shameful American. Uh, I loved the movie once. Uh, that's one of my top, me and Berta, we st still talk about that movie as being life changing to us because we're musicians and just this beautiful movie. I saw the play, I saw the musical, which was great. Uh, makes me cry all the time. 
the commitments. Oh my God. When I saw that as a, I don't know, I was probably like 20 years old in college. That was again, life altering for me as a musician, just seeing a movie about rambunctious working class musicians singing American soul. I mean, and the guy from once incidentally was in the commitments. So, uh, just, just love, love that movie. Um, in the name of the Father, I remember that that movie. The Guard. Actually, if you if you get a chance, if you haven't seen the movie The Guard, it is really really funny and really interesting. I just really love that that movie. The Devil's Own with Brad Pitt and Harrison Ford. <laughs> just funny to have two Americans playing uh, Irish people there. Anyway, uh, patron Linda goes on to say, I've done some pr- preliminary research into the notion. I'm a layman and have no access to scholarly journals, but the same sorts of concepts show up under many names. People skills, so- social skills, soft skills, a subset of life skills, interpersonal skills, and so on. As far as the history goes, there had been a 20th century tradition in the U.S. of looking for life-relevant skills to teach kids who may not be intellectually gifted in the hopes that they would get a benefit out of schooling that could be transferred to everyday life. This kind of thinking emerged in a culture where business-focused, pragmatic, and self-management-style programs were seen as formulae for pulling oneself up by one's bootstraps. It is more evidence of what you mentioned in a previous podcast that Americans value the notion of the self-made man. He goes on to say, Would Tarantino's Pulp Fiction have been more engrossing if he had worked on his social skills? On the other hand, there are lots of published studies indicating that good social skills do lead to positive outcomes for most students and pupils. Uh, His email is uh, very long, but there's so many interesting things he's talking about here. I just can't help but to read it. He also says, um, as I understand it in the 70s and 80s, American companies were having trouble with maintaining respect, communication, and politeness in multicultural business meetings because business was becoming so globalized that cultural faux pas were occurring and there was a rush to try to remedy that. In addition to that, it was thought that better communication, assertiveness, and empathy would improve business outcomes. One of the things that concerns me is people pathologizing themselves or stigmatizing themselves by attributing outcomes to poor social skills when that might not be the problem at all. For example, imagine a child who has a tendency to catastrophize and is slightly more nervous than usual. Attending high school for the first time, the nervousness puts off other kids. The child learns shame. Later, they make a mountain out of a molehill and read up on social anxiety and self-diagnose as having poor social skills. It would be interesting to get your opinion on the topic, what you think the positive range of social skills are, how it helps in therapy how you have approached it in professional and academic life and what you think the limitations or downsides of the notion are. For example, when doing the podcast with Birdo, although you may be worrying about the audio, moving the conversation along, being sensitive to the audience and so on, I doubt you could be thinking much less worrying about every little movement, interaction, change of manner and so on. And this is where I struggle with the notion of social skills Sure, some broad recommendations about how to be polite and mannerly and empathetic could be very useful in general. Specific advice I can also see as useful, for example, how to keep people's attention in a meeting, how to do an icebreaker at a seminar, how to address a superior, and so on and so forth. So basically, patron Linden here is talking about how uh, there are some websites talking about 
how to have social skills and they'll, they'll give specific advice on how to have social skills. And he's saying, you know, it's probably, yeah, there's probably some specific things that might help, but it seems a little strange uh, to have a notion that you could give someone a couple tips and then th they'll have good social skills in life. Cause you know, social skills are much more complicated than that. And Patron Linden ends here by saying, I have demonstrated terrible social skills by sending this monster of an email. <laughs> Um, no, uh, I don't mind long emails. People often do, they often apologize if they send me long emails. They'll say, oh my God, this email is so long. I don't care. I, I read fast enough to, 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 to make your email. Plus, if your email is ridiculous, I just won't read it. <laughs> um, although that's probably not even true. I'll probably read every word that people send me. My, the podcast is small enough that I can actually read uh, people's emails. And so if you send me something, I'll read it. Uh, anyway, um, okay, so so let's let's define social skills before I address uh, Patron Linden's excellent questions. The first off is that he he alludes to how there are different constructs, you know, things like life skills and these kinds of things. So let's go over the related constructs to social skills. The first one I want to talk about is what they call social competence. This is actually a, a a term that might be used more often than social skills in the research literature, in the clinical literature. And, and most of what I'm going to be talking about here, right here is the research and clinical literature. What's being discussed on the internet, I'll talk later. I mean, because what's discussed on the internet is a bunch of lay people talking out of their ass, essentially. And so, I mean, everyone's entitled to talk out of their ass if they want to. I do it all the time. Anyway, so social competence is defined as the skills associated with successful interactions with others. And it's usually referred to interacting with other students in classrooms and, and teachers. And incidentally, a lot of the social skills and the related topics apply or are, are being used in school environments, which is interesting when you think about it. But, you know, there's a lot of attention on having kids get along in school. There's not a lot of attention on kids getting along at home, but there's a lot of attention on kids getting along at school. The reason why, in my estimation, is because when you have one or two kids that are bothersome in your classroom, they will make your life terrible as a teacher and as a school administrator. And so there's a lot of effort to address that and to try to measure it and figure it out and change it. There's not a lot of people that care, you know, there's not a lot of caring in our society as to whether or not kids are getting along at home. But obviously, that's another environment where we should be more interested in. But anyway, a lot of the literature has to do with classroom, uh, classroom behavior, and uh, the ability to learn and the ability to not get in trouble. They won't say that explicitly, but that's, that's the way I'm interpreting it. So social competence is often interchangeable with the ability to to get along well in class and learn. So social competence includes things like cooperating with others, having empathy, caring about other people's feelings, you know, after you empathize and understand people's feelings, not being aggressive and not withdrawing. So that's an important part is not only are they not being aggressive, but they're also not withdrawing from the situation and isolating themselves. So, so those are things involved in social competence. Another related term is classroom adjustment is defined as children's behaviors and attitudes associated with learning at school. 
such as positive attitudes about school, the ability to cooperate, and the ability to be independent in class when needed. Another term is is school readiness. School readiness is defined as the mastery of certain basic skills or abilities which assure success in school, such as the ability to read, basic math skills, and social skills. So school readiness involves social skills, but it also involves certain basic learning skills like math and reading. Another term that is often associated with social skills is the concept of executive control. This includes elements of modulation of attention, the ability to pay attention to things that you should be paying attention to, the ability to modulate your emotion appropriate to the situation, and the ability to modulate your behavior to reach one's goals in the moment. So executive control is is you know perhaps synonymous synonymous with social competence, but some research will say that it's different and that it has to do with more control elements of your behavior and your emotions and your thoughts and that kind of stuff. Another term that is associated with social skills is social intelligence. It was first introduced by Thorndike in 1920, and it refers to the ability to take another's perspective, not objectifying others, humanizing others, the ability to be motivated to attend to others. So not only be, you know noticing other people, but also motivated to attend to them. The ability to thoughtfully reflect on social interactions. So after an interaction happens, you can thoughtfully re- reflect on it in a way that is not too distorted. The ability to have a greater understanding for one's social world. So sort of a big picture ability. And the capacity to engage in satisfying relationships. This is all elements of social intelligence. It's close to, if not the same as, social competence. Again, there's all these terms, and even the researchers will agree that there's too many terms and that sometimes they are the same terms. They're just they're the same definition, just different terms. Although many people consider the word intelligence to be a stable ability, Researchers mainly define any type of intelligence, whether it's social intelligence or, or just the um, you know, uh, IQ intelligence. They, they define any type of intelligence as an organized set of cognitive principles that permit accurate judgments and wise choices. And intelligence can be changed over time. So uh, intelligence is usually, like I said, in society – associated with just an innate thing that you're born with. And certainly there are genetic components to various intelligences. But researchers understand that you can actually raise someone's intelligence. You can actually raise someone's IQ, for instance. Another term that is associated with social skills is emotional intelligence, or EQ. And this is the ability to monitor one's feelings, the ability to monitor other people's feelings, the ability to differentiate between my feelings and your feelings, and the wisdom to use information about everyone's feelings in a satisfactory manner. So it's, a, it's the emotional intelligence of yourself and others and, and the wisdom associated with, with that. Okay, so now finally, social skills. How, how, how might we define social skills? There's many definitions. Uh, the, there are, you know, it involves the one definition is the various skills and abilities needed to get along with others. The ability to create relationships with others, you know, how to initiate a relationship with others. And you can see how this applies a lot to school because, you know, in school you often meet new people. The ability to maintain satisfying relationships with others. You know, how do you keep a friend? 
How do you manage conflict with friends? The ability to perceive and understand what is happening socially. So the ability to perceive others, to understand what's happening around you. You know, things like noticing social cues. You'll hear that phrase. Understanding other people's emotional states, mentalization, uh, having eye contact with others, you know, monitoring what's going on on other people's faces so that you can understand what's happening. The ability to act in a way that results in satisfactory interactions for everyone, not just yourself and not just for other people, but for everyone. And the capacity for self-control is also involved in social skills. You know, I want to hit her, but I shouldn't hit her, so I'm not going to. I want to take that thing from that boy because it looks good and I want it, but I won't do it because that is not a socially appropriate thing to do. And that is also going to cause problems for me because that person will in the future not like me as much and might not share with me in the future. And so I have to restrain myself from taking that thing because I know that later on it'll be bad for me, even though it's good for me now. Also, the ability to have self-control over your, over your tantrums. You know, this is a, a skill that all children learn because they, you know, all will have tantrums at some degree when they're younger. And every child learns that tantrums don't help them in the end. You know, there's, a, there's an urge in adults to have tantrums, right? We all have that urge. We all have that urge to just flop on the ground and scream. And, and you know, sometimes we might do that in the, you know, in the appropriate company. But at some point in our lives, you know, early on in life, you know, preschool age, we learned that throwing a tantrum doesn't actually help us in the end, even though it feels good in the moment. And even though it might get us some temporary relief because maybe we won't have to take a nap because if you're throwing a tantrum, they can't force you to take a nap easily. So you'll get some temporary relief, but ultimately it's, it's not helpful to you because it makes you look like a fool. It alienates other people. It just puts off a consequence and, and sometimes you'll even get a greater consequence, you know, like, I want you, you got to buy me. You said you were going to buy me something at the store and I want this. And, you know, mom says, well, I only said you could spend $5 and that thing is worth $20. And then you throw a tantrum and then mom says, well, now I'm not going to buy you anything. And so we've all had good parenting like that, or hopefully we've, we've had good parenting like that. And we've learned that manipulative tantrums are not the answer. And so we need to have self-control over that. And social skills uh, is, um, involves that ability to control tantrums and other kinds of behavioral urges. So again, just to review, the various skills and abilities needed to get along with others, the ability to create relationships, the ability to maintain relationships, the ability to perceive what's happening, social, skew, so, social cues, the ability to understand other people's emotional states through attachment and mentalization, the ability to act in ways that result in positive interactions with others, and the ability for self-control. These, these things are all involved in social skills. I will say, though, that in the research literature, sometimes they don't define social skills at all, and they just refer to it. Uh, they're, they're, I could provide plenty of chapters and books and articles uh, for you, but I won't because it's boring. But under, understand, just know that a lot of, there's a lot of reference to social skills without ever defining it. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know that I, it's a pet peeve of mine when authors don't define what they're talking about and they just throw out a term without defining it. 
And so it doesn't take much to define things. You know, it just takes a sentence or something to define it. And so a lot of people don't define it. In fact, the definition that I just provided you is a comprehensive definition that I pulled together from, from several different sources. Uh, one source will, would, would provide one part of this definition, another source, another part. And so I, I'm providing you with the, the most comprehensive one that I could find. All right, so again, just to review the different constructs here, social, social competence is one that you'll hear a lot. Uh, ones that you'll hear less often are classroom adjustment, school readiness, executive control, social intelligence, emotional intelligence. You'll hear that one sometimes, but again, social competence is the main one that you'll hear in the literature and, of course, social skills. Other terms that patron Linden refers to are things like people skills, soft skills, and life skills interpersonal skills, these kinds of things. These terms are not found in the research literature. People skills, soft skills, uh, interpersonal skills, I haven't come across in the literature. It's not to say that they, they aren't in respectable literature, but I haven't heard it. Okay, so just as a sidebar here, there are several measures that psychologists will use to measure the social competence or social skills in children. And there are six main ways of measuring social skills. And these, these are the six main ways of, of measuring all sorts of psychological constructs. But uh, regarding social skills, there are six main ways. The, the first is self-report instruments, meaning that you just ask children to fill out a survey. You know, things like, how well do you get along with others? And how, how, how liked are you? Or, you know, how hard is it for you to control your urges and this sort of thing? And these are good for measuring how they see themselves, but it might not be very accurate, right? Because if you ask a child to evaluate themselves, they might have a distorted view of themselves. Uh, one particular measure that is a self-reported instrument is called the social skills rating system. And this is the, the benefit to this uh, form of measure, measurement is that it's not very expensive because all you have to do is ask a kid to fill out a survey for you know, 30 to 60 minutes, and then you're done. So it's, it's pretty inexpensive, but it's not, it's not very accurate, like I said, because you're asking someone to evaluate themselves. And part, part of social skill or social competence is the ability to accurately reflect on yourself. And if you lack social competence, you might lack the ability to accurately reflect on yourself. But it's one way. It's one way to evaluate social competence or social skills. Another way is to interview and this is good in that it gathers holistic information. It gathers a, you know, the big picture of the child's social skills and the context in which the child exists. You know, the self-reported instrument might not pick up on the environment in which a child is. is. Perhaps the child is, you know, he's a black boy in an all-white school. Well, interviewing will, will get at that, you know, because the interviewer will naturally look around and see that and say, oh, well, you know, what is it like being an African-American child in an all Anglo white school? And so uh, interviews will, will you know, potentially capture those things that might not get captured in a, in a mathematical instrument. But the downside to the interviewing technique is that it can be potentially biased by the interviewer and the report writer. But uh, interviewing is another way as opposed to self-reporting instruments. Another one is behavioral observation. This is perhaps the best way to evaluate social competence and social skills is because it, it, you directly observe a child in his or her environment and you code the behaviors. 
and it's it's uh, but it's very expensive because you can imagine if you pay a psychologist or a psychological assistant to sit around the schoolyard and observe a child for several hours because it probably takes a long time and code all their behavior and then you know uh, tally all the coding and then write the report you can imagine that that would be pretty expensive but it's perhaps the most accurate there's also behavior rating scales, which is similar to behavioral observation. There are also projective expressive techniques. These are uh, things like sentence completion. Th- this one isn't generally used because it it's too much dependent on the evaluator's opinion, and it's not mathematical enough, and it might not predict very well what's happening. In other words, you, you ask a child to fill out different sentences. You know, it'll be like, when I'm at recess, I like to blank. And then uh, it says several questions along those lines, like, you know, regarding other kids on the playground, I am the one who likes to blank or something, you know, and, and you uh, evaluate the child's answers to those questions or those sentence completions, and then you uh, write a report based on, on that data, those data. And this is a kind of an old school way of evaluating people. And again, it's, it, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of bias on behalf of the evaluator that might get infused in there. And it's hard to norm a projective test because there's too, many, there's too much variance in the responses by the people. So it's not generally used these days, but some people still use it. And personally, I think it could, it could get you some very interesting information about the child, but uh, it, it's not necessarily, but it shouldn't, in my opinion, be the only instrument that you use. It should absolutely be paired up with, with other ways of evaluating children. And the, and the sixth one is a sociometric te- technique uh, in which peers rate the individual. So this is not this is the opposite of self-evaluation or self-report, and this is peer report. And this is good for evaluating how peers see the child and, and can be a, a very good way of figuring out what's going on. But it can be de- deceptive sometimes because some children are bullied or unfavored for reasons unrelated to their social skills. So you can imagine a kid who, say, is poor and doesn't have all the cool clothes and the cool gadgets. And you can imagine, you know, half the class hating that kid because that kid doesn't have the cool stuff. But the kid, the the poor kid could have excellent social skills. But when you ask peers to evaluate him, they all hate him. And and it it makes it look as though that kid doesn't have any social skills when, in fact, he does. He just doesn't have the cool stuff. So the sociometric techniques or the peer ratings uh, is also has its has its problems. But again, it's very cheap because you only have to, you know, walk into class and, or I don't know how you do it exactly. I haven't done this this form of of, re, of uh, evaluation or assessment. But I imagine you would have kids uh, fill out, you know, rating forms on all the different classmates. I don't know. I don't know how you do that because it's like, okay, we want to evaluate Johnny. We're going to have the entire class fill out this form about Johnny. You know, that would be pretty frightening to Johnny. But anyway, um, just to go into some more specific measuring uh, instruments, we have the student-teacher relationship scale, which measures conflict, closeness, and dependency 
in terms of the relationship between the student and the teacher. We have the preschool and kindergarten behavior scale, which measures social cooperation, social acceptance, social interaction, externalizing, internalizing, antisocial behavior, and the uh, capacity for being self-centered. And just a note about externalizing versus internalizing. Externalizing involves behaviors such as getting angry, being aggressive. You know, you're externalizing your your emotions in a way that isn't uh, helpful. And internalizing is uh, involves behaviors like hating yourself. You know, so if you get into a a bind socially, uh, people tend to either externalize or internalize in maladaptive ways. So I'm guessing that's what they're referring to. And in terms of gender, boys are socialized to externalize and girls are socialized in general to internalize. Other sorts of measures are the behavior and emotional rating scale, the child behavior checklist, the comprehensive school climate inventory, developmental assets profile, school social behavior scale, social skills improvement system rating scales, and the Washington State Healthy Youth Survey. So these are all just different measures that are used by psychologists to evaluate the social skills and social competence of children. Uh, I just want to, another sidebar here is I've done social, I've done um, podcast episodes on social skills. For instance, we did uh, an episode on Minecraft therapy in which Johnny Knowing talked about how he, as a therapist and a, uh, a I think he's a graduate from Antioch. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he graduated from, from Antioch University of Seattle, but he provides therapy to children via Minecraft. And he has a whole system of helping kids develop social skills while playing Minecraft. And the benefit there is the kids love playing Minecraft, so they don't even know they're doing therapy. And he knows how to speak the language of Minecraft. Similar to that, I've done episodes on Dungeons and Dragons therapy, in which in which Adam Johns and Adam Davis they both run a Dungeons and Dragons group. Again, the kids love to come because they get to play Dungeons and Dragons, but they also are learning social skills while they're doing it. Okay, so let's just go into a little bit of the culture here. In American society, we tend to privilege extroversion, and so we tend to pathologize introversion. Even though introversion has nothing pathological about it, it's just a it's just an interpersonal preference, you know. And however, researchers tend to understand that social skills are about being socially flexible and adaptive rather than being extroverted or introverted. So researchers will look at how adaptive are you? Do you get along with others? And do you have satisfying relationships? And certainly extroverts and introverts can both have those things. Uh, but in American society, we tend to look at introverts and say, oh, they lack social skills, when in fact, they just might not really care about interacting with groups of people. So, you know, say you have, you know, 30 kids in your class in fifth graders or something, and there's a couple kids in the class that, that don't ever participate in larger group activities and don't seem to have very many friends, but they do have uh, some friends. Well, we as a society tend to look at those kids and say there's something wrong with them because they're not interacting with the group and they tend to alienate themselves when there's a big group activity. Whereas these other kids over here thrive in that activity and they stand up and they participate and all the kids love them. And, and so we tend to privilege the second kids as opposed to the first kids when in fact the first kids could be perfectly happy and lead perfectly wonderful lives 
and just just have a select few friends that they interact with occasionally and are totally satisfied with that. And there's nothing wrong with that. So it's just an important note to make. Also in our culture, I tend to hear the term social skills used in a lot of problematic ways. I hear it being used to label problematic behavior in children and adults. You know, it's just whenever you see problematic behavior, it's it's labeled as lacking social skills. But it, it might not be, have anything to do with social skills. It might have something to do with something else. I mean, if you, it, I guess it depends on your definition of social skills. But but uh, certainly there's some overlap. The more social skills you have, the less likely you're going to have problematic behaviors socially. But I can certainly imagine some people exhibiting social uh, behaviors that are uh, not so great and yet having very good social skills, you know, so it just kind of depends on the definition, I guess. Also, I hear the term social skills being used for someone who isn't liked by other people. So if, if other people don't like that person, they tend to get labeled as having as not having any social skills. But again, it might be related, but it might not be. Or someone who's introverted, as I was talking about earlier, or someone who's quirky. This is This is my biggest pet peeve, is that if you have a child or or an adult that is quirky, that you know talks in a in a sort of different way, or tends to have a different sense of humor, or uh, tends to I don't know just just walk through life in a in a quirky manner, meaning that they're not you know right down the middle traditional sort of mainstream Americans. Well, they tend to get labeled as having. Uh, is not having social skills, and this is this is a big pet peeve of mine. And I I spent a lot of time in therapy trying to dispel this because I'll get clients coming to me as adults, and they'll say, "Yeah, there's something wrong with me. I don't have any social skills." And after interacting with them, I realized they have tons of social skills, but they're just quirky. They're just a little different. Their sense of humor is just a little different. So I spent a lot of time trying to help them not feel as though they lack social skills and trying to help them to value themselves for just being a little different from other people. And that's what makes them special. You know, uh, it's, it's one thing if you're quirky in a way that alienates other people and really puts people off. It's another thing if you're just different and you like to be different and uh, people who are put off by you tend to be people that are uncomfortable with difference, but other people who are different like you, they really like you. <laughs> and so uh, that's, it's just an important distinction to make is that quirkiness does not equal lacking social skills. Uh, also, the term social skills is often used in the context of, of autism, particularly mild autism. Uh, because when people are uh, can, you know, labeled as being mildly autistic or high-functioning autistic, uh, an automatic thing that is assumed is that they lack social skills. And I could go into a whole rant about the mild, or mild autism label or the high-functioning autism label. And, but just know that I'll just, just know this, is that, again, plenty of people are just quirky. They're just not mainstream. They're just different in the way that they think and the way that they act and the way that they prefer to be in the world. And we don't need to pathologize this and we don't need to add the label of mild autism or high functioning autism. Those labels, in my opinion, should be used for particular kinds of people. Again, I won't go into it right now. But in our society uh, and, and in movies, we're, we're obsessed right now with this, with this mild autism or Asperger's. You know, I was watching the movie, oh, what's that movie about uh, Turing, The Imitation Game. Well, Turing, um, Alan Turing was not 
uh, at least the experts and historians agree that he should not be considered to have been Asperger's or uh, mildly autistic. Uh, he was gay and he was brilliant and he was quirky, but he was not uh, autistic. But in the movie, because we have so much in the pop culture regarding, you know, mild autism and and how that contributes to uh, how certain geniuses become alienated. It's a, cer- it's a certain story that we like to tell these days, which is weird to me. Uh, but because we have that construct in our society right now, they made Turing into a mildly autistic person in which he had trouble picking up on social cues. He had trouble with relationships. And from what I understand, that from what historians say, it, and they critique the movie for this, is that that, that wasn't the case. So it, we have this weird thing going on in our society right now where if you're a genius, then you're automatically assumed to be mildly autistic, which is just really, really stupid when you understand mild autism. Not that mildly autistic people can't be geniuses, because they, of course, can be. But geniuses, should the, the, the word genius should not be synonymous with Asperger's the way that it seems to be kind of in our society right now. Being a genius means that you are in all likelihood more able to have social skills because having the capacity for for all sorts of intelligences, you're likely to also be very smart when it comes to social relationships. And you're, you're, you're also, you know, your ability to reflect on yourself, the ability to gather information, the ability to listen to other people. All these are capacities that people that are highly intelligent have, highly intelligent have. And so, I don't know. Just that's just another rant I can go on. Okay, now what about social skills training, which is what patron Lyndon was talking about? And just to take a little time out here is to attempt to convince you to become a patron on our Patreon page. A little update. Let me look here. We have eighteen patrons, which is awesome, and that is very special to me that the eighteen patrons have become patrons. And just to announce who those people are. The newest patrons are Patron Leo, Patron Xavier, Patron Jane, Patron Aaron, Patron Pavel, Patron Pamela, Patron Tasha, and so on. So please become a patron of the podcast because patrons are in the future going to get swag. I don't know, mugs. Maybe Berto will call you, like I said before. Maybe we'll all call you. (laughs) Maybe you don't want that. And you'll get uh, access to exclusive content. So please become a patron. Let's take this podcast to the next level and let's create a family here. I'm already feeling like we're creating a family here. You know, I feel like patron Linden, for instance, with all of his excellent emails, I feel like he's becoming just an extension of the podcast, which I want to do with all of you patrons. If you want to, if you don't want to, you can just become a patron. You don't have to interact with us at all, but, but I know that a lot of, a lot of you do like to interact with us. And so, uh, please become a patron and interact. <laughs> have some social skills, people. Have some empathy for my situation here. And <laughs> know that I have a lot of things that I have to do in my life. And the podcast, I, I really want to do. But in order to justify my time in it, it has to produce at least some income. And wouldn't it be nice if, if I could uh, have that happen for me and for Berto and Paulette? One of the reasons why you're not hearing Berto and Paulette in the most recent episodes is because they're busy with work and whatnot. And if they got paid, they'd be on the podcast a lot more. So, so let's become patrons, people. All right. So getting on to social skills training, we get 
training for 99.9% of our social skills via our natural capacity for empathy and learning as children. We learn from our families, we learn from our peers as children how to interact with other people. You know, the vast majority of us don't need any social skills training, any direct, you know, formal training because we just pick up on it over time. You know, all the social skills, I've never taken a social skills class myself, at least I don't remember having taken one. Maybe I had one when I was a kid, but I don't remember it. But um all the social skills that I have, I learned just by just by being a human being because we're born. Our brains are such that it's set up to allow us to learn that. And so, as soon as we're born, we start observing the interplay between ourselves and others. We observe the interplay between other people around us. But some people have different brains, and they might need an extra boost. And some people are raised by people who lack social skills, and they might need an extra boost. Boost. And some people are raised in abusive or neglectful environments, and they might need an extra boost. And there, there's a lot of research showing that when you are raised in an abusive or neglectful environment, that your social skills will suffer. And so people who have deficits in social skills might need extra training. And that's where social skills training and therapists come in. Basically, with social skills training or social competence training, we want to help people with their social skills so that they can be happier, so that they can have more satisfying relationships. That's the, that's the main point, in my opinion, and, and others share that opinion. But some people want social skills training to help people to become more productive at work or, or in school. And I think you know that's fine if that's what the individual wants, but it seems a little, I don't know, I don't know the word for it, draconian or seems a little capitalistic to to train people's social skills so that they can be productive at work. I don't know. It just seems a little shady to me. Also, some people want to teach social skills to people so that they pay attention in class, so that they they do better in school. And although I totally uh, think that we should help kids with their school behavior and you know, doing well in school. I consider it much more important that children be happy and that they have satisfying relationships. So, you know, I just want to provide that distinction. Because a lot of people suffer from social skill issues. You know, we are entirely social animals and we depend on our social relationships and we we measure our worth based on our social relationships. And so if you have deficits in social skills and are therefore suffering socially, then a wonderful thing for you and for others is to provide you with social skills training so that you can have satisfying relationships and you can please other people more easily. You know, and, and the main thing is stigma, I think, you know, because people now, particularly in Seattle, they want to learn yoga, for instance. And so they'll take a class on yoga. It's you know ubiquitous in Seattle. There are yoga classes going on all the time. I've taken yoga classes. People say, oh, I want to I learn yoga. Boom, they go to a, a yoga class. No stigma, no shame. In fact, they're probably rewarded socially. Oh, you do yoga. You're walking down the street with your yoga mat. You're a cool person, uh, depending on your point of view. <laughs> but when it comes to social skills, how many people say, oh, I lack social skills. I'm going to go to a social skills group, you know, and I'm going to walk down the street with my social skills book. And people are going to look at me and say, oh, good for you for learning social skills. No, people don't do that. We're, we shame people who lack social skills in our society. We think that there's something inherently wrong with them. There's something, there's something very wrong with you if you need a class for social skills. But really, all of us could benefit from this. I mean, even 
people with, you know, pretty good social skills could learn. I think we could all benefit by being inspired to be more empathic and being more attentive to others and, and more aware of ourselves. You know, as a therapist, I certainly help a lot of people with that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had classes like this all the time for people? I think it'd be great. Anyway, okay, so getting back to Patron Linden's email here. So Patron Linden seems to be saying that the term social skills gets thrown around in American popular culture more than in Ireland. I could see Americans being particularly interested in that for a number of reasons. One is, is that, I don't know, we're just particularly talky when it comes to these kinds of things. But I also think that in, in America, there's, there's a lot of attention on children in schools these days. And part of that has to do with social skills. And we're extremely focused as a society on school performance. I can't tell you how many times I've talked with parents about uh, school performance. You know, they'll, they'll have a, a kid will, uh, say, be neglected or abused as a child. And they have emotional issues. Well, a lot of parents don't bring in their children uh, to therapy just because they have emotional issues. But what they will bring their children into therapy for is when the child starts getting Fs in school, when they start not getting good grades in school. So usually that's around age 13, 14 is when their grades start to drop or be noticeable anyway. And when that happens, that's when they, that's when parents will bring their children in, into therapy and they'll say, you know, this kid isn't doing well in school. The kid's skipping school. The kid's grades are going down. We really need to address that. And then after assessing, often what I'll find is, is that they've had a long standing emotional problem that's been happening for a long time. And the parents basically knew about it, but they weren't alarmed by it or they, it didn't really motivate them to bring in the child into, into, into therapy. And the opposite is true, too. If you have a kid who has emotional issues but does well in school, a lot of times I don't see them coming into therapy. Um, I should also say that if you have an emotional problem, it'll likely impact your school performance So for a number of reasons. But... Um, but anyway, so American culture is extremely focused on children in terms of their performance in school. In my opinion, they're, they're focused too much on it. Of course, school performance is great, but shouldn't emotional performance and emotional satisfaction and emotional skills and emotional intelligence, shouldn't these things be more important than your ability to do a math problem? In my opinion, the answer is yes. Because emotional intelligence and emotional satisfaction uh, carries over into all aspects of life. And the ability to do a math problem doesn't. And so um, you'll find that, that uh, American culture is very focused on that. And I don't know about other cultures, but ours certainly is. And, and uh, so you'll find that social skills are often matched up with that kind of talk about performance in school and getting along and paying attention. Patron Linden goes on to talk about some bad ways in which the term is used, as I was reading earlier, but let me comment on that. So uh, he says, a group doesn't like a person much because of his or her clothes, attitude, personality, and inability to fit in, and, and they simply label him or her as lacking social skills. Yes, absolutely. I've absolutely seen this. You know, you have a child that likes to be different or is introverted or is quirky and absolutely gets labeled as lacking social skills when they absolutely could have social skills, but they are just quirky or being targeted by the mainstream group of kids. 
Patreon Linen asks, as I read earlier, would Tarantino's Pulp Fiction have been more engrossing if he had worked on his social skills? Incidentally, I just watched uh, Kill Bill, part one and two, volume one and two recently. Uh, when I first saw that in the theaters, because, you know, Kill Bill, I think, was that, I think it was uh, Pulp Fiction and then Jackie Brown and then Kill Bill. And Kill Bill, people had a lot of hopes for, and people, a lot of people didn't like it because it wasn't like Pulp Fiction. And it was very gory. <laughs> you know, Kill Bill has a lot of gore in it. But um, I actually liked it watching it second time around. It has a lot of really great things in it. I, I, I kind of liked Kill Bill. I liked it much better. I think it, it had some really slow moments at the end of Volume 2, though. But um, But anyway, I also was thinking it's a massively feminist movie because most of the characters are women, uh, which is really incredible when you think about it. This is an action, gore, adventure movie, and the majority of the characters are women, and the fact that they're women isn't really referred to. You know, the lead character, played by Uma Thurman, is a woman, and her femaleness isn't ex- isn't really referred to very often. You know, and that's that's one thing that really bugs me about American film sometimes is that if if they're not a white male, they're often referred to as, you know, the woman or the Asian guy or the black guy rather than just being a person, you know, whereas white people, white males, it's like, oh, well, you know, yeah, he's just a guy rather than it's like, oh, well, that's the movie about the white guy, <laughs> you know, just a little side note there. But anyway, he asks, patron Lennon asks, would Tarantino's Pulp Fiction have been more engrossing if he had worked on his social skills? This is a very good question because Tarantino is notorious for having terrible social skills. <laughs> having said that, I will say that he probably has uh, some social skills uh, with some deficits. If he had no social skills, my guess is he would never get any film off the ground. So uh, and, and getting back to my quirky thing, if you watch him, you could define him as just being very quirky. It's hard to evaluate celebrities sometimes because they know they're being watched by people and they know they're being evaluated by millions of people. So it's hard to know if they're putting on a show or not. You know, like Kanye, I'm always wondering if he's trolling all of us or not because some of the things he does, I'm just like, what? <laughs> Why did you do that? But if he just acted normal, I wonder, I wonder if he wakes up in the morning and says like, if I just act normal today, that was a wasted day. I want to do something different. And so by being provocative and saying some of the stuff he says, bro, uh, I wonder if that's his act, if that's what he's, you know, if he's doing it on purpose. So it's hard to know with, with people like Quentin Tarantino if, if that's really how they are. I mean, I guess you'd have to ask someone that's close to them and maybe even before they were famous. Um, plus, famous people have a lot of people around them that say yes all the time to them and allow them to do whatever they want. And I'm just going to take a guess and say that if any one of us had literally thousands of people around us that would tolerate every single thing that we did, every temper tantrum, every and every stupid idea we had, everyone said, oh my God, you're a genius. If we had that for five, ten years, we would all become assholes. I'm pretty sure of that. And so uh, perhaps Tarantino's like that. Having said that, you know, can lack of quote unquote social skills result in good things like Pulp Fiction? And I would say absolutely. The ability to think outside the box, the ability to think differently has a lot of benefits to it. And so uh, lacking quote unquote social skills isn't necessarily always negative.
having said that, if we're defining social skills in the way that the research literature tends to, tends to define it, when you have deficits in social skills, in all likelihood, you're going to have dissatisfactory or not as satisfactory relationships with others. And since we're social animals, that is probably going to be uh, less of a satisfactory life to that person. And so, uh, again, we have to distinguish between quirky and weird and eccentric with, with lacking social skills. You can have lots of social skills. You know, the ability to have empathy, for instance, we could all agree is probably a good thing for everyone. The ability to care about other people, the ability to perceive emotion in other people, these are important things. Now, you could be quirky and weird while you do that. You know, say someone's on the street and you notice that they're, you know, upset about something and you walk up to them and you, you know, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what's a quirky way of saying, you could say something like, I, you know, well, it's quirky to walk up to someone on the street. You know, someone could say that person lacks social skills by walking up to a random stranger on the street. But, you know, say you walk up to them and you say, oh, I, you know, I noticed you seem to be upset. Can I help you? Well, that's quirky. And again, someone could say you're lacking in social skills, but it might actually be a good thing, you know, to to act quirky and yet have good social skills and yet have the ability to empathize and to care about other people. Let's see, is there anything more I could say about social skills? As far as uh, what Patron Linden goes on to say in terms of having specific tips on the internet, you know, the internet will provide specific tips on how to have social skills. Yeah, I completely agree. That's, that's ridiculous. Social skills, you know, even though I identified all those measures and we're trying to define all this stuff, social competence and social skills is extremely subjective. I mean, just imagine trying to measure that exactly and to discuss that in a particular person to say like, well, how satisfactory are their relationships in life? You know, that that's a very tough thing to measure. And as the, and this is why I love psychology and psychotherapy is because it involves so much wisdom and understanding and contemplation and discourse with other people that through that wisdom and discourse with others and humility in terms of acknowledging that you don't know anything about anything or you know very little about things it, that you can explore something you know to explore the concept of social competence in yourself and in other people is a very subjective process and i i revel in that some people hate that and they try to numerically measure these things that's where all those measures come from they're trying to assign a number this kid is rated as having x amount of social competence and I, I think that's ridiculous. Um, I think the measures are fine if you're using them responsibly. But the, the whole concept of social competence is culturally based, is individually based, is, is contextually based. And so uh, I just encourage everyone to, um, to think of it that way and to really think of all things regarding the human experience to be that way. Depression, anxiety, ex- existential anxiety or existential satisfaction. You know, all these things are, uh, require a lot of thinking and a lot of wisdom to even begin to talk about. And so, uh, just, uh, I want that to be known. And just, so that's just how I see it. All right. Well, thank you, patron Linden for your long culturally competent email. 
Again, uh, please go to patreon.com if you like episodes like this where I talk about theory, which I know a lot of people do. One way to encourage me is to become a patron of the podcast. Um, you know, one of the things that I think about is how much time I want to invest in this podcast thing. And it requires a lot of time. Uh, each podcast will take me hours of research and recording and editing and posting and da da da. There's just so much that goes into it. And, you know, there are many weeks where I'm tempted just to you know, mail it in and just talk into the microphone for 20 minutes and sort of ramble the way that other podcasters do. That, believe me, there I've listened to a lot of podcasts uh, and they drive me crazy when they don't prepare and when they just sit down and just ramble aimlessly. It, it bothers me. And so I, I could do that because that would require very little time for me. But I, I have this feeling that there are enough of you out there that value this product to become patrons and actually, you know, dedicate a certain amount of funds per month to, to make this thing into a much more useful thing for you. Um, I might actually do the prep work for the patron only episodes. You know, I might do the, the light episodes for the general public and I might do the, the more theory heavy research based episodes just for patrons. And so if, if you like these sort of episode episodes, I recommend you become a patron because, uh, then I will know that that's the sort of thing you want. The other thing is, is that I'll respond much more to the patrons requests and to their emails, you know, because they're patrons. Oh, actually, there's one more thing I wanted to talk about regarding social skills. So there's this book called The Handbook of Child and Adolescent Treatment Manuals that I have in here. And there's a chapter here written by LaCroix called Social Skills Training. And I'm just going to provide a pre- brief overview of, of, what they, of what their manualized social skills training program looks like. So it's a group format in which they work with kids. Session one is creating positive interactions. So they're just trying to create positive interactions between the participants. Session two is getting to know others and starting conversations. So it's, it's icebreaker kind of stuff. Session three is how to make requests. So it's teaching them how to get more of what you want. So perhaps they start with that because it's like, well, everyone has wants. And so maybe we, they can hook them by uh, helping them to, to get what they want and how to make uh, socially competent requests of other people. Session four involves expressing your needs and your feelings directly. So how to express your feelings directly and confidently. Session five is how to say no. So they have a whole session dedicated to saying no. Session six is asserting your rights and telling it like it is. So, uh, and se- session seven is identifying how others feel, the art of empathy. Session eight is dedicated to dealing with all those in authority. <laughs> so how to deal with authority. Session nine is responsible decision-making and how to think about it before, before acting. Session 10 is learning to negotiate and learning conflict resolution. Session 11 is dedicated to asking for help. So that's just one manualized social skills training uh, provided by LaCroix that I wanted to provide to you just to give you an idea of what a social skills training program can look like. All right. Well, that does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me and please take care of yourself because you deserve it.